Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. If you've read more than a few books about the Civil War, and I know you have or you would not be listening to this, you may have wondered at some point, where do the maps in this book come from? We're all old enough by now to know that the stork does not bring them, so tonight we'll get the straight answer from someone who knows. Join us for The Map Talk with Civil War cartographer Hal Jesperson on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Our mateys, welcome to Civil War Talk Radio, you scurvy dogs and poxy wenches out there. Today be the 19th of September, and that be annual Talk Like a Pirate Day. Um, no, I'm not going to be able to keep that up for an hour. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio uh, from Greenville, North Carolina, home of the Pirates of East Carolina University, uh, but not coming to you tonight from East Carolina University, uh, rather from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road, the home base. Not speaking for uh, anyone else in the house here tonight, not my wife or my cat, uh, nor for East Carolina University or anyone else. And my guest, likewise, will speak only for himself, as we always do on Civil War Talk Radio. Well, I'm happy to report that the annex here is in one piece, as is East Carolina University. We had minimal damage over the past week from Hurricane Florence that passed through North Carolina. Uh, thanks to everyone who expressed their concern and support over the past week on Facebook or email or elsewhere. Uh, but I'll ask everybody to keep in mind the, our neighbors in Wilmington, New Bern, Fayetteville. A lot of towns got hit way worse than Greenville. Uh, we were fortunate. Uh, ECU did have to cancel its football game last weekend against Virginia Tech, which gives us an extra week to savor the big win the week before over UNC, Chapel Hill. Um, the flagship school refuses to acknowledge any kind of football rivalry with ECU. They think of us 
the way we think of our neighbors at Pitt Community College, nice people, but not in the same league. And yet, ECU has now beaten uh, the Tar Heels the last three times they played, and not by small margins. So, uh, if it's not a rivalry, it's because they're not measuring up. Uh, the hurricane did have some uh, uh, effects here besides canceling that. Closer to uh, Civil War Talk Radio Home, I unfortunately had to cancel a field trip uh, of History 3225, U.S. History Civil War era, uh, going to the battlefield at New Bern uh, in early October. We don't know what shape uh, the field is in, if it was flooded in any way, or what the neighborhood is like. So. Rather than risk taking a bus into the flood zone, we're just going to have to postpone that. Uh, over the past week, a uh, listener pointed out that a website called explorethearchive.com published a top 10 list of military history podcasts, and Civil War Talk Radio is on it. So if you're curious to see what else made their top 10, it's called explorethearchive, all one word, dot com. Uh, the reason, I think, why uh, uh, this podcast ever would be recognized anywhere uh, by anyone is because of you, the listeners. You, over the years, have suggested great guests, uh, provide encouragement, uh, supply occasional funds to the Civil War Talk Radio Book Fund at impedimentsofwar.org, where Mark Gaffney keeps us up to date. Um, and those funds are not tax deductible. I use them for any purpose. Recently received some that were specifically earmarked for the purchase of Knob Creek bourbon, so I did indulge that, but uh, uh, not tax deductible. I can do whatever I want, just so you know. But so many interesting communications from the listeners uh, really make this podcast uh, an interesting thing to do at this end. Uh, I heard from a listener in Maryland recently who wrote that the Antietam on the Web episode led him to discover that Burnside's Ninth Corps marched right past his neighborhood in 1862. So now when he rides his bike, he knows he's in Burnside's footsteps. He's gotten a lot of interesting feedback over the past several weeks on the Confederate monument issues and Silent Sam and Chapel Hill in particular. Uh, some of it uh, agreeing with uh, what I said in the opening uh, show of the season, some of it disagreeing, uh, some of, and much of it very stimulating, uh, including those who disagree. It, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to engage in discussion and debate with people who have different views and who uh, take time to listen to the other side and express their views in full paragraphs and focus on the issues. I could not help but contrast that with, uh, I came across on Facebook today, somebody had posted an old photo of a statue removal from last year, and it immediately drew hundreds of comments, people unaware that this was not even news, it was an old picture. And the gist of the argument there was basically, you suck, no, you suck, back and forth for 200 comments. And that kind of thing makes me think the internet has multiplied the quantity, or at least the effect of stupid in the world, but at the same time, the internet makes it possible for us to have this meeting tonight and forums like Civil War Talk Radio, where we get to hear experts talk at length and tell us what they know, and we learn something new every week. Uh, we will learn more next week uh, while we're here uh, talking about the show uh, from guest Mark Smith, 
Professor Smith teaches at the University of South Carolina. He was originally scheduled for last week, had to put that off because of the hurricane, which was headed towards his town as well as mine. But uh, Caroline Janey, who is scheduled for next week, teaches in Virginia, and they are still dealing with the after effects of the storm. And she had to postpone until next February. I've got her rescheduled in the spring season. So Mark Smith will be with us next week. The smell of battle, the taste of siege, a sensory history of the Civil War. Uh, he says they're fine there in Columbia, so he'll be joining us. And then uh, in October, Kirk Savage, author of Standing Soldiers, Kneeling Slaves, Race, War, and Monument in 19th Century America. Very timely topic. Looking further into October, Peter Charles Hoffer will talk about lawyers in the Civil War. That should be interesting. And on the 17th, Lee Elder has written That Bloody Hill, Hilliard's Legion at Chickamauga. And we've got more scheduled through the rest of the semester. You can find out at impedimentsofwar.org. Tonight, we have Civil War cartographer and proprietor of the website uh, cwmaps.com, among other uh, historical ventures. His name is Hal Jesperson. If you You've seen his work if you've read much about the Civil War, uh, and we'll find out about the maps he makes and other things he does. Uh, Hal, are you there? Are. Are. Very good. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought of, could we keep it up for 55 minutes? I don't think anyone would appreciate uh, No, that. I don't think so. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to the show. It's good to uh, have you on here. Uh, thanks, Jerry. I'm happy to hear you made it through the hurricane Okay. I'm, yes. I'm wondering what Civil War sites are going to be uh, victims to that. Like, I'm worried about Fort Fisher, and I haven't heard anything about it specifically. That, that's a good point. That that's real. They really got the brunt of it down there near Wilmington. Um, the the Newburn battlefield is between the Neuse River and a swamp on the other side of the field, and if the water rose much, it might have affected the earthworks there. Uh, but I guess we'll find out as the weeks go by. Yeah. So, um, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. You and I crossed paths at the uh, Civil War Institute this past summer, and and uh, we had worked together before, but never met. Now, uh, uh, tell for the listeners, uh, how did you get interested in the Civil War originally? Well, it was a very specific uh, incident. Um, you know the book "The Killer Angels" by Michael oh, Shara. Yes. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, was recommended to me, and I read it, and uh, I was uh, really hooked by it, and started reading real histories of the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, I looked up my father's old copy of the West Point Atlas of uh, American Wars, and went through all of those maps. Uh, I started visiting Gettysburg and other battlefields, and then in the um, in the mid two thousands, like two thousand four or five, Wikipedia was just coming into prominence. And I decided to teach myself about the war by writing many of the articles that you currently see about Civil War battles. I wrote about 300 Wikipedia articles. <laughs> and um, in doing so, I found that I had to um, uh, come up with maps. And at the time, it wasn't all that easy to get Library of Congress maps online. So uh, I started drawing them. My background is in the computer business. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm retired now, but uh, I've been using computers since 1964. Believe it or not. Wow. Uh, so I was um, I was comfortable with uh, learning programs, and um, I started out with Macromedia freehand, and then uh, eventually transferred over to uh, Adobe Illustrator and related products, and uh, taught myself how to do it. So I did about I did about 200 maps for Wikipedia. And uh, those are all available online. You can go to my website and uh, not only download the image, but also the source code for them. So if you have Adobe Illustrator, you can read them in and modify them, uh, do whatever you want with them. So the so if today one goes to Wikipedia and looks at, say, you know, Fort Donaldson or Gettysburg or, or some significant battle, there's a strong possibility that that is your work that we're reading? Yes. Uh, a good rule of thumb is if it was a large battle and if it was mm-hmm. not related to the Navy, uh, mm-hmm. I wrote it. Um, and now, uh, and so two things about that. One is that it's not that I'm not interested in naval battles, but there was another guy or small group of people who wrote those while I was working on the land battles. And then uh, the second is I, I actually retired from Wikipedia about seven or eight years ago because I got sick of it. And um, I haven't touched the article since, so who knows what they've turned into over over the years. But I assume they're pretty close to what they, what I originally wrote. If it has my map in it, uh, the chances are very high that I wrote it. So that's interesting about, you say, re- retiring from Wikipedia, because as I'm sure listeners, you know that in theory, anyone can go in and edit a Wikipedia article. It's a, the product of all the world's readers, but that means uh, you know an eighth grader can go in and, and just write some toilet humor in the middle of an article, and and someone has to monitor that and and, and take it out the next day. Uh, you don't do that, you're saying? Uh, no longer. I was uh, I was getting really worn down. I had about four hundred. Oh no, actually about a thousand articles in what they call a watch list, and so anytime any one of those thousand articles changed, it would come up in a list. I'd have to go and take a look and see what what uh, someone had changed the article and then reverted or modified it in some way. And that just got really burdensome. And um, there's a lot, there's just as much arguing on Wikipedia article pages as there is on uh, the other parts of the Internet as well. Well, that's what I was going to say. If somebody writes, you know, the Battle of Gettysburg was decided uh, on July 2nd and Pickett's Charge was meaningless and someone else writes, oh, no, Pickett's Charge could have succeeded if Stewart had been there. Uh, you know, these are the kind of Civil War roundtable debates people have endlessly. So how do you get the authority to uh, to be the Wikipedia changer of articles or, 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 or reviewer of changes that you've retired from? Anyone can do it. Ole, uh, you have a few more privileges if you log in and create a user ID on the system. But mm-hmm. even if you're an anonymous user, you just push the edit button and uh, make whatever changes you want. Now, you don't, you don't get the advantage of seeing what other people have done automatically the way a regular user would, but becoming a regular user, there's no obligation. Just create a user ID and a password, and you're set to go. And, and so the articles that were on your watch list, how, how, did, I mean, how do you get a list of, of 1,000 articles to watch over? Do you create that yourself? Um, well, uh, all you have to do is um, click a button and say, I'm interested in watching this article. And that's it. Okay. 
wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, I tell my students not to be afraid of Wikipedia. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, professors were telling students don't use the internet for anything. Uh, now, of course, it's got so much material from Library of Congress and the official records and all kinds of reliable things that you'd be, you know, it would be madness not to use it frequently. But Wikipedia is still death to a lot of uh, professors because it is vulnerable to being changed. But I've always told my students, at least recently, that it's a good first pass. You can go there and find out who won the Battle of Gettysburg, and it'll probably be right. And don't cite it in your paper, but at least it'll get you started. But, you know, it's interesting that you came up with that example of uh, (laughs) when the battle was decided, because that was the single most contentious specific (laughs) issue. Uh, not specifically what you said, but whether, to use the term, it was a decisive Union victory. Right. Uh, and I fought that tooth and nail uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that the word decisive victory is not really very well defined. And mm-hmm. two, um, there are many historians who don't believe it was decisive. They they think it was important, but the mm-hmm. two, two more years of the war... Uh, were going on, and it was not inevitable that Robert E. Lee was going to lose the war based on what happened at Gettysburg. I think that's a very reasonable position, and uh, uh, that that's just what makes this field so interesting, is that there are things like that to talk about, but in the encyclopedia format that Wikipedia mimics, uh, you have to say one thing or the other, and, and I can see these arguments following. Wow. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't think we were planning to talk about Wikipedia today. But, no, but this is so interesting. I but but the, the final thing I'll tell you about Wikipedia is that it's a, a third-level source, a, a tertiary source. It's not right. a primary or a secondary. And that any opinions that you see in a Wikipedia article are supposed to be sourced to right. a reliable secondary source, not to a primary, but to a secondary source. Uh, and so the... You can't have a single label on a battle that says this was decisive unless you have a bunch of footnotes that say these historians say that it was decisive and these historians say that it wasn't, so therefore it's indecisive. And it's, mm-hmm. it was just a mess. And, and that's, but that's exactly where students uh, or any reader can at least get their, their foot in the water if they don't know anything about a particular battle or a particular topic is look at those notes and start then doing some actual research. Uh, yes, so it's a great Wikipedia, starting place. It, it really is. Um, well, let's get back to maps. So you you did maps for these these uh, Wikipedia articles, um, the uh, and and you do them digitally. Did you ever do maps uh, the old style way, uh, drawing them, or was this always a digital process for you? Yeah, I, I started like Jedediah Hotchkiss did, uh, drawing on 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 horseback. Uh, with my charcoal. Uh, ah. No, I, I, I have no drawing capabilities whatsoever, and it's uh, always wow. been on the computer using a mouse. Interesting. So um, when you set out to do a map, uh, and I should tell our listeners, if they go to uh, your website, www.cwmaps.com, uh, besides links to all these maps we're talking about, they can also find out how to hire you to make a new map if, if, say, someone's writing a book or article and wants it illustrated with a map. Um, and, and you and I worked together in the, uh, uh, the book from uh, 
the LSU press, the uh, gateway to the Confederacy. Uh, I wrote an essay on uh, Don Carlos Buell and the, the 1862 campaign, and, and your maps are the ones that illustrate that. Talk about how that works. Uh, an author wants a map for uh, for a piece that he or she is doing. Do they draw a rough draft of the map? Do they just describe the area to you and figure you already know about this? Uh, how, how does that process get started? Well, there are three different kinds of maps that I can interact with a client about. One would be a well-known battle. Uh, somebody is writing a regimental history of the uh, 15th Alabama, as an example, and they say, I need a map of uh, the attack on Little Round Top. They don't really have to tell me much more than that. Uh, because uh, I, I've done those maps before right. and familiar with it. The second would be they have uh, they found other maps in already published books. They'll, they'll say, uh, I want a map that's like Harry Fans's book on the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, this particular page, except I want you to emphasize this brigade uh, and de-emphasize the other ones, you know, just show those at the division level or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the, th- the third... Um, which is probably about maybe only about 25% of my work is where the author has done original research and gives me a sketch map of what they want to show that's very specifically different than a map that has already been published. So when, in any of these cases, that sounds like it leaves a lot of room for additional research at your end. Uh, they're not simply giving you the whole thing and just saying, make this pretty for me. Um, that you've got to uh... well uh, my research is pretty much related to the topography mm-hmm. um, of the underlying map uh, and I what I do not do is research into the unit movements or what actually happened in the battle that's up to the mm-hmm. author of the book right. um, and since I have a fixed price for each map that I do I'm not charging them by the hour. I don't offer to go read their book and try to figure out what the map should look like. Uh, I let them tell me. Um, and I render it using the standards of uh, that I've established for my map so they all look approximately the same. Uh, and um, and my, I have my own style. But um, that's my contribution. They, co- they contribute the history to it. So the... Uh when you talk about style, that, that uh, your maps are distinctive. They, they, you talked about topography. Your battle maps certainly do reflect the, the, the topography, the, the, the elevations, the, the ground cover, and so on. Do you have to research that? Uh, that seems like something most authors wouldn't be able to provide you with. Uh, well, some authors are, uh, you know, uh, particularly National Park Service rangers and historians uh, have a, a very good idea of what the terrain was like on their battlefields. Um, but I generally, I, I start with existing elevation uh, and usually existing water courses when I know that they haven't changed much. And existing railroads are usually pretty this, pretty much the same, and some of the roads. So I take those modern data sources, and then I compare those with um, historic maps, like from the official records atlas, and try to figure out uh, what might have changed between 1865 and now, and make the adjustments accordingly. 
Okay. Well, there's a lot more I want to ask about maps. We're going to take a short break now and uh, take care of some business uh, at Voice America. We'll be back in a moment. We're talking tonight with cartographer Hal Jesperson. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Hal Jesperson, Civil War cartographer. If you've read a Civil War book published in the last 10 years, the odds are you've seen his map work. Uh, it's in in a lot of places, uh, and and uh, a distinctive style, very clear, very uh, elegant, I would say, and 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 uh, very useful in following along. Hell, a pet peeve of mine when reading a Civil War book is when the author talks about places, especially an operational level, a campaign level uh, book, and they're mentioning small towns here and there. And then you go to the map that they've provided, and those places aren't on the map. Uh, I, I've tried to be very careful about that myself. If I mention a place, I make a note, be sure that gets on the map, because you know people don't know where these small towns are. Do, do you ever engage in sort of editorializing uh, where, where an author's given you a map, and you realize this is not... This doesn't have the places you need to have. Uh, you, or, or do you have? Do authors give you a free hand to say decide if you want just the big cities or all the small towns? How, how does that work? Um, well, first, let me say that you might be surprised to know that I virtually never see the text of the book that I'm contributing to. 
mm-hmm. um, the first time I see it is when it rolls off the press and uh, they and I have to badger the author to send me a copy. Um, so I'm not doing uh, proofreading or determining whether there are missing labels or whatever. However, over the years, I've I've established a little database of all sorts of Civil War locations and GPS coordinates. And when I start out on a map, uh, I dump them all in. And then my process is, which ones should I remove? And um, I try to use my knowledge of the campaign or of the battle to remove the ones that are not applicable. But typically, my maps will have more labels in them uh, than the author even wants. <laughs> ah. So so that isn't usually a problem. Now, when you did the maps for Gateway to the Confederacy, uh, and, and the ones for the essay I wrote there, I remember we had there was back and forth. The publisher would send me drafts of what you had, and I could say, well, you know, we better put this town in or we don't need this town or, or I don't think I made a lot of changes, but there was an opportunity to go back and forth uh, with you. And I didn't know you at the time, didn't know who I was uh, you know, working with in that sense. But is that typical that you have some back and forth with the author or is it more they, they publishers as make me a map, you make me a map of the valley, you make a map of the valley, you give it it and that's the end of it. At my level of uh, prominence, I almost never deal with the publishers. I'm not one of the famous cartographers that uh, the pu- that a university press will impose upon an author. Uh, I'm one of those that comes from a list of, here's a list of cartographers we've used to pick one, and, and you, the author, have to pay for the work, to their surprise. Yes. Um, but uh, so let's see what the question was, whether there's back and forth. Uh, certainly, if... If the uh, author is engaged in the process, um, I um, I encourage them to uh, review the maps as thoroughly as they can, and uh, we'll make changes accordingly. Now, I what I do do is get a little antsy if they make fundamental changes in the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if they say uh, if I tell them um, I'm going to lay out a map with these boundaries, and I draw the entire map four or five hours of work. And then they say, oh, can you extend the map a couple of miles to the east so that we can include <laughs> pump, uh, Pumpkinville on the map? Um, right. Then I, uh, that means I have to redraw the, the entire map. So um, th- I don't appreciate that. But, you know, if they say, well, move uh, um, Harry Heath's division uh, over a little to the left and, um, and extend the arrow farther through the Union lines, that's certainly what I expect the author to want me to do. You mentioned, uh, you know, cartographers where the publisher says, uh, you know, here's, we want this famous one. I'm, I'm trying to think of fame in the cartography field as, uh, you know, sort of a limited quantity. But at, at the risk of asking you to talk about competitors, are there other Civil War cartographers whose work you find particularly impressive? Uh, oh, sure. Uh uh, you probably know Steve Stanley, who's the uh, mm-hmm. guy who did all of the Civil War trust maps, plus a, n- a number of books. His style is quite different than mine. Yes. Um, there's George Scotch, uh, who <laughs> you've seen his maps in many, many places, including the Gordon Ray books and uh, some of the Ralph Peters novels about the Civil War. Uh, new up-and-coming guy, Ed Alexander, from uh, the Petersburg area, um, is doing great work. He's been copying a little of my graphical style. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did some maps for him, and now he's off doing his own. Um, then uh, Mark Moore from your neck of the woods is the the premier cartographer in uh, North Carolina area. He did that gigantic uh, North Carolina atlas. I assume that's you right. Yeah. That one, yeah, he's excellent. Yeah. Yes, yes, we had uh, we did a show about that, and I George Skoke was on the show in our one and only in fifteen years, our one and only technological breakdown where it didn't get recorded properly, so it's not in the archives, and I've always regretted that. Um, let me ask you one map the map style that a lot of guests talk about. When I asked you at the beginning what got you interested, uh, it's not uncommon. For people of my age, and I'm almost 60, a uh, matter of days now, uh, if, if people were sentient back during the uh, centennial era, they will remember the Bruce Catton American heritage, centennial history of the Civil War, with the, uh, not the three-volume one, but the big uh, illustrated volume, with the bird's eye maps that were paintings of the battle with little soldiers and houses. Um, yeah, what, that what was, your th- they were done by a guy named uh, David Greenspan. Yeah, they are they are works of art. Did, did they were they an early inspiration for you, or, or what? Do you, what do you think of them as someone who does maps uh, on a professional level? Well, they're beautiful. Uh, they're quite different than my style. Uh, my Very, style, yes. my style attempts to um, have completely accurate terrain, mm-hmm. um, rather than um, the the more idealistic picture that he shows. Plus, right. all of the tiny little soldiers are, are sort of cute, but um, are not very indicative of of. Uh, it doesn't give you a good idea of which way the uh, the battle is ebbing and flowing and where the attacks are going on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Plus, he, he throws uh, uh, big clouds of smoke all over, which is yeah. histori- <laughs> it's historically accurate, but doesn't really help you, uh, you the reader, understand what's going on. Um, no, that- one of my, one of my uh, the attributes of my maps is that you can take one of my maps and uh, let's say you uh, printed it on a uh, translucent piece of paper. You could lay it down on top of a Google map and it would match exactly with the terrain. So I, I, I use uh, the same projection that modern maps use, and you could lay it over an aerial photo or, or of a Google map, and it would all line up exactly right, which you obviously couldn't do with David's. No, no. The, the perspective is different, and it, that wouldn't work. Um, I mean, that's an interesting example of how technology has changed the map-making world. Uh, you, know, you mentioned Jedediah Hotchkiss, uh Stonewall Jackson's map maker. Uh, he did not have these tools at his disposal, obviously. Uh, there is so much now that, that you can do with, uh, say, with Google. Uh, what about uh, going to the ground? Uh, it, from your website, it, it's clear you've, you've traveled to a lot of Civil War battlefields. Uh, is that part of the map making process, or when you're at a battlefield, do you ever look at, at one of your maps and think, oh, you know, I could, I could have done this differently, or uh, is there any interchange there with your your work when you're actually on the field? Well, I'm uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but no, uh, <laughs> uh, I I have very limited ability, not only in terms of drawing, but also of 
looking out over a field and turning it into a map. I've never been able to do that. Uh, when I do go to a battlefield that I have mapped already from the government's provided data, uh, I can, it enhances my ability to, under, the map enhances my ability to understand what's happening on the ground rather than the reverse. Seems odd, but that's the case. No, I mean, that makes sense, though. Um, Gettysburg, we've mentioned a couple of times tonight, and you said you've, you know, someone wants a map of the wheat field, you go up. Oh, I know where that is. I've done that. Are there, well, let's ask this way. Are there any maps you're sick of doing that, that uh, you've done too many times? No, uh, because I can reuse previous work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Little Round Top, I've done a number of Little Round Top maps, and I don't have to do basic research on where the fences were or where the, uh, you know, where Plum Run went and where mm-hmm. Devil's Den is. I know that those are all uh, already done, and I can take a previously created map and modify it. So I actually enjoy those, doing the uh, the repeat versions. Is well, is there a favorite battlefield for you then? Uh, Getty, of- Gettysburg, certainly. Mm-hmm. The um, conversely, I had planned to ask. So, is there a particularly difficult experience you can recall doing maps? But it sounds with the with the ability to use the data, the the Google Maps, the overhead views, the the GPS coordinates. Um, it, 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 are they all sort of a similar level of difficulty then? No. Uh, some of them are on terrain that has changed substantially. Uh, uh, you know, Fort Henry, as an example, uh, Vicksburg, uh, mm-hmm. anything anything involving the Mississippi River can be a, a problem mm-hmm. uh, because you have to figure out where the river has moved over the years. Um, whereas Gettysburg is very, very close to what it was in 1863. Um, so, you know, when you do a map of the Battle of Belmont um, or uh, uh, Island Number 10 or uh, Vicksburg or um, Port Hudson, uh, there's, there's a good deal of art, artist, artistic uh, manipulation necessary to get a map to come out and, and look like it's authentic. So, And that's where you're going back to sources to, uh, you know, maps that were made at the time or looking at at, at historical maps to try to figure out what's different from now, I assume. Yes, right. So, um, the uh, we're talking about battle maps primarily here, but what about maps of the campaigns or maps of the whole war? Uh, do, you, do you do large-scale maps as well? Well, a large-scale map is one of a very small area. That's uh, that's true. I, I misspoke. Yeah, <laughs> that's yes. one of the the secret handshakes of mapping. Is that a large, exactly. uh, a, a small scale uh, a map of the United States is a small scale map. Exactly. Uh, uh, I have never done or attempted to do a single map of the entire war. I have done maps of like a year of the war, mm-hmm. but there's simply too much overlap to make it possible to have a coherent way of looking at the entire war in a single image, just as you would not want to do the entire Battle of Gettysburg in a single image. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I've forgotten what the beginning of your question was. Well, uh, well let, let me 
follow up on that though. You could, with the technology, uh, you know, you, you say you have a, you've got a map of Little Round Top. You don't have to redo it. Um, that presumably is one layer in the map you're making on your computer, and then the arrows unit placements are another layer. The the terrain stays the same, but different map would have different units. Uh, but you could. You could do an interactive map where you had multiple layers. Here's the first day. Here's the second day. Here's the third day. Uh, in theory, at least, uh, not in a book, but in a on, on your website, for example. Uh, yes, you could do that. Uh, I typically do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, uh, no one has ever commissioned me to do such a work. <laughs> um, and um, but there's there's no reason that I couldn't do exactly what you what you suggested. I mean, if you look at the three days of the Battle of Gettysburg, I have I typically will do three day uh, oriented overview maps, mm-hmm. and you could just and the the background is identical, and then the only thing that changes are the layers of the troop movements. Actually, a map has close to about twenty layers in it than than uh, mm-hmm. one than just a couple. Sure. Yeah, this makes me think of, uh, besides books, that uh, the Gettysburg Visitor Center certainly has a lot of interactive uh, kiosks with you know touchscreen maps, and uh, uh, this is just the way way of the future. Last week at uh, East Carolina, an English department professor had some uh, had those uh, those Oculus devices, the, the the things you wear over your eyes, and you see projected as if you're in, in this case walking inside a medieval Irish castle and uh, learning about the literature at the time by actually as if you're walking there uh, I just wonder if that's another direction for map making that that, uh, that and I'm really going far afield here but I'm picturing uh, the kind of research you do with the GPS uh, detail, could eventually be presented to the viewer in a in a three dimensional way, where you're walking up Little Round Top uh, and, and seeing things. Sure, I, I'm going to leave that to the next generation. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's no reason that you couldn't do what they call AR or augmented reality, that mm-hmm. would allow you to actually walk on the terrain and see the units uh, around you in which direction they're going and hear the sound effects and all of that. I find the current uh, generation of animated maps to be mm-hmm. uh, one rather simplistic, and mm-hmm. two to be difficult to follow because units are moving all over at one particular time, and you can't really focus on any one individual unit without uh, wondering what's going on with all the rest of them. Plus, they have all of these sound effects that are distracting you in little clouds of smoke, and it's it obviously is quite hectic the way a real battle was, but it's not the best way to understand the sequence of events, in my opinion. No, it, it's the whole point. Uh, I mean, the the generals often didn't have maps. Uh, it was that that uh, saying a battle is something fought at the intersection of two maps. Uh, you know, they never had, they rarely had good, accurate maps of the fields they were fighting on, and we. That's the advantage of reading books today is we do have the maps that you've created so we can follow the action clearly. So uh, recreating the fog of war is interesting but kind of defeats the purpose, I suppose. Uh, are there any battles you would haven't done that you would like to map? Well, no. Uh, I, I've been, 
I've done about 2,900 maps in my little career, and about 800 of those are for one particular guy who hasn't published yet, but it (laughs) consists of every battle in the war, Um, or at least all of the ones in the, you know, the American Battlefield Protection Program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done them all. Uh, done any, any one of significance I've done. Um, so, so say that again. Those are have not been published. An individual has commissioned you to do these for at this point his private benefit. That's right. And so there's an archive out there of Jesperson maps that the public is unaware of, or at least uh, has not seen. Right, but it's you know obviously copyrighted uh, and owned by the individual who commissioned me. So uh, he'll publish when he's ready. So, but he is hopefully he's he's thinking about it. He's or working on it. Yes, he's he's working on his uh, first book, which is uh, oddly enough about the war in Kansas. Uh, And so I've done many, many, many a map of uh, all of the pre-Civil War. Uh, nasty activities that went on in uh, Kansas, as well as the um, handful of battles that occurred there after 1861. Wow, that's fascinating. So there is uh, something we can look forward to at some unknown future time. Right. Uh, Well, when it comes out, I'll send you an email. Absolutely. That would be good. Um, One thing we often do near the end of the show is the Civil War time machine. uh, And I'd like to ask you, if you could uh, travel back for 30 minutes, let's say, into the past, um, spend 30 minutes uh, in the Civil War and come back safely. With most get, most guests, if they've written a book, it's often about a general or a, a particular unit, and they'd like to go visit that unit or that general. I'm, I'm curious to know, where would you want to go for, for 30 minutes? Well, I bet you could guess. Is it Gettysburg? Oh, oh! I'm sorry. Where would I want to go, rather than, or, or, or uh, who would you, or who would, who would you want I like to talk to? to? I who would, would like, like to meet to Jed Hodgkiss, of course. Oh, there um, we go. Okay. Uh, secondarily, uh, this is going to seem really odd, but my parents, uh, my late parents, are buried in Providence, Rhode Island, twenty yards away from Ambrose Burnside. So wow. it would be it would be interesting uh, to meet him. Wow, it'd definitely be interesting. Uh, but Hotchkiss, you'd be able to talk talk shop and uh, yeah. explain to him, uh, you know, one day we will have these pictures taken by drones from above, and we'll have everything will be uh, given a coordinate, and, and you you won't need to do all that that hard and artistic work that was done yeah. then. I'm afraid that would be a confusing conversation on his end. <laughs> uh, it, it might be a challenge, certainly, for him to figure out quite what was going on there. Um, so, are you working on anything uh, particular uh, at the moment? Any major project? Uh, well, uh, there um, depends on how you define major. I've been. Uh, I'm just finishing up. Uh, a book by Jim Pula that's an overview of the war. I, I'm doing about six books for the emerging Civil War series. You know the mm-hmm. Savas Beatty guys, yes, uh, uh, Chris Mikowski and and company. Uh, I just I just did a um, there's a, a new novel coming out about George Meade, and I did, believe it or not, 36 maps for that uh, novel. I told the guy, I told the author that this is turning into more of an atlas. <laughs> uh, there's a, a new book coming out about uh, General Hood that I, uh, for uh, Steve Davis, wrote mm-hmm. that I uh, did the maps for that. And there's a, a book coming out about the history of the Nashville and Decatur Railroad 
and I mapped that sucker out to every single bridge from uh, Florence, Alabama, up to Nashville, believe it or not. Wow. Um, yeah, and I have uh, a number of others. They, they all sound good. Um, one last thing to ask about. Uh, occasionally, I'll talk to uh, people who, besides reading about the Civil War, will play games uh, about the Civil War, war games on, on moving units, count, cardboard counter units on maps of the battlefield. Uh, have you ever been approached by anyone to do that kind of work? I have, uh, although uh, for... I don't know whether it was for business reasons or artistic or whatever. It, it just sort of petered out. And uh, but I'm familiar with the genre. It, it's an interesting one. It, it obviously has a lot of limitations, and and uh, you know to fit in uh, for something to work as a game, it's not the same as working as a map just to learn from. But uh, some of the th- same things certainly apply in terms of sources and the technology that's available today. The, the maps that were made in the 60s for games then are a lot different from the ones we see today. Well, Hal, this has just been really fascinating, but including our, our little digression on Wikipedia, which I learned a lot from. But I'm excited to hear about all the work you're doing now and, and look forward to seeing those maps come out and uh, I'll remind listeners if they want to see uh, the work of Hal Jesperson, go to www.cwmaps.com, uh, learn more about his work there, and uh, pretty much any book, as I said, in the last five, ten years, uh, there's a good chance you'll see Hal's maps in there as well. So, Hal, thank you so much for joining me tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.